You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. All right, it's Absent Minded. We're back. We're starting to wind up with the draft with my former boss, Brock Auden of uh, McKean's Hockey. You can find him at Brock Auden. Very simple. You find McKean's at McKean's Hockey as well. Super simple. Follow them. They make an amazing job. And, and we just spoke about it, Brock. First and foremost, welcome and thank you for taking the time to enlighten our listeners to, to this draft. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Patrick. Um, first and foremost, as I said, we, we spoke about it a minute ago. Um, the work that has gone into this draft guide is amazing. I know I, I was part of a little bit of it last year, but... It's been a polarizing draft or, or list to put together this year, right? Oh, it, it was so difficult. Probably the most difficult list that I've been a part of putting together. There are so many players all over this draft that the opinions were all over the place on in our scouting staff. Um, the difference between the video scouts, the regional scouts, my assistant uh, director of scouting, Derek Newmeyer, myself. Uh, just such a wide variance and not just like a little bit, like we're talking about complete love, hate. Like I love the player. I hate the player. And then trying to find that middle ground so that everybody's happy. Uh, I mean, it starts right at the front with Matt Michkov, who I'm sure is, is a guy that you're going to want to talk about because he's in that Montreal target range, but our Russian scouts love him. I'm kind of indifferent. Uh, I like him. I don't think I love him. Whereas my assistant director of scouting said to me during our meeting or our multiple meetings that he wouldn't even use a top 10 pick on Michkov. He looks at him as Nail Yakupov part two. And, and then it just kind of goes from there, right? Angel Crystal. There's another guy who, whether you believe the skating can improve to the point where he's a top six player in the NHL. I mean, that's going to dictate whether you think he's a mid first round guy or, you know, a second or third round guy, or as you see him on some, uh, we'll call it more professional lists, like, uh, like Bob McKenzie's right. Where you're pulling NHL scouts where he seems to be a lot lower. Right. It just feels like there's more guys like that this year than I've ever seen. And it was a very difficult list to put together because of that. We, we're all going to have our favorites. We're all going. I mean, like I, I know because I had to struggle with the, with trying to defend uh, someone named Casper last year. But <laughs> <laughs> but but we're all going to have that. And and I, what I do like with McKean's and and from the inside again for about what nine months. But but uh, let's be honest, uh, is the fact that it, it's it's so wide in 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 your discussion. Really, it's it's the the ceiling is high, but it's also very wide. You let everyone speak. You let everyone give their grades. You have video scouts, as you mentioned. You have uh, you have the the regional scout, as you as you mentioned as well. And and it gives you sort of an insight that there's not only one person that makes the decision. It's it's first and foremost, quite a few people have watched this player for 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 a bit of time, and second, uh, you let everyone speak, which 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 makes for sort of a communal ranking rather than maybe, as you said, a professional ranking as Bob McKenzie's where, where you look into maybe the, 
the 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 actual NHL scouts and see what they're thinking. Um, you mentioned it, and obviously this is a Montreal Canadiens pod. And and let's be honest, we're gonna think that Connor Bedard goes number one. It's it's you know let's for for, for just just for the sake of it, we, we picked a name and it hit was him really. But then it's a in a way a toss up between four players depending on which one you like most. Uh, I've said uh, on on plenty of podcasts and with uh, plenty of discussions on Twitter and on forums that I think Mitchcom has the highest potential to be a superstar, but I also think he will fall the furthest. So if you want to start with Mitchcom, that's... <laughs> yeah, Patrick, I think that's the perfect assessment, right? There's all those guys in that four spot range that you just mentioned, he's unquestionably the biggest wild card. And it's not just the political factor. It's not just, you know, the KHL contract situation. I, I personally, I think that's overblown. I mean, most of these guys are are not going to be really good NHL contributors for three to four years anyway. I mean, even guys at the front of that draft, um, you know, they they might be in in year two or year three of their of their NHL pathway. But I mean. You're going to get a player when he's coming off that KHL contract who's ready to be an immediate impact guy if all goes according to plan with his development, right? Like, oh, like on Capri's an entry on, level right? deal. Let's right, be honest on with that. An entry level deal. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think the contract thing is completely overblown. They've said, uh, SKA has said that when he's done, he's done. He'll go to the NHL. Like, there hasn't been anything that's suggested that he's going to extend past those three years. So I think and, that's and, really and, and I think something that hasn't really been mentioned enough, I haven't seen it mentioned at all, but but enough is that the assistant coach of SCA in St. Petersburg is Daniel Bachner, who hails from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, come on. It's 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 not like he's gonna be out on a whim. And 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 not speak to anyone in English, not speak to anyone about the NHL. It's not, it's 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 you're gonna have a Canadian right in the center of his development, no matter what, more or less. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think the bigger concern obviously is is the political climate thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's very turbulent. We we don't know how that's going to end up going in the next few years, right? And there is some inherent risk there. We, we saw that with the whole Benetov situation in Philly, right? Um, when they tried to sign him and, and there is a little bit of risk there. And when you're picking as high as, as Montreal is or as other teams are in that top five range, you know, you've got to weigh that pretty heavily probably, right? And then uh, just some of the skill set issues, in my opinion, I don't know if I would call them issues, but there are things within his game that I think are going to cause scouts and have caused scouts to pause right um he's not of those five guys in the top five including bedard um i would say his 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 yeah he's not a center his defensive game is by far i would say the weakest of those five and yes will smith and bedard aren't terrific in the defensive end either you know if you're projecting him as a nikita kucherov it's taken kucherov a long time to be at least competent as a two-way player um I, I think the main concern that I've seen from people within my scouting staff and from people that I've talked to is the skating. Um, everything else is high end, but you're looking at a guy who's 
not really the biggest. He's definitely very slight. He's going to have to add strength. And the skating is average for a type of player that's usually taken in the top five, right? If you're, if you're taken in the top five, usually you're one of the better skaters in the draft class, right? You're looking at the other guys in that range and you've got Am Fantilli, who's, you know, one of, if not the best pure skaters in, in the draft class, maybe outside of Oliver Moore and uh, maybe a few other guys. Um, Bedard, Will Smith, uh, Leo Carlson, it's not a concern at all. Michkov is definitely the weakest skater of the five, in my opinion. And especially and, coming from Russia, because Russia traditionally has been a strong right. skating country. Right. And I mean, people compare him to Nikita Kucherov all the time. And we forget that Nikita Kucherov was drafted as low as he was, even coming off of a record-breaking U18 performance because he wasn't the biggest and because the skating was a bit of a concern, right? And he's ultimately worked out unbelievably well. But how many guys with that same sort of physical tool set haven't worked out, mm -hmm. right? And uh, do I bring up Alex Galchenyuk? Yes. The injuries. <laughs> oh I know, right? Why? Why did I do that? Um Why didn't I just stick with Yakupov? Yeah. Well, because I, I think Yakupov and Galchenyuk were very different guys, right? I think, and I think you probably agree as uh, somebody who's well-versed in all things Montreal Canadiens, outside of the injuries, I think one of the biggest problems with Galchenyuk, other than maybe the hockey sense or IQ mm -hmm. not really coming together, was the lack of development in his skating. I think the injuries definitely played a role in that. But that was something that just never really took a step forward after he was drafted. And it's not to say, again, he was never a weak skater. But for the type of player no, no, but, that but, he wanted to be, I, I felt like it was always something that might have held him back. As you said, like, when you take someone this high as, as number five or, or, yeah, top five, let's go with that. And, and it's going to be a skater. You, you know, that's going to be the least of the problem. They could be struggling with a shot. They could be struggling with, you know, hand-eye coordination to a certain degree, but uh, physical game because you can see them improve or, or, or something like that. But two things that, that normally stands out with top five, hockey IQ and skating. At least from my mind, but, but you yeah. know. It's, no, it's, you're you're 100% right. And those are the two things that you typically look for, right? When you're picking in that range. And the other thing is Mitch Cobb's decision-making with the puck and his utilization of his teammates mm -hmm. has been something that has been a little bit inconsistent as well. Uh, some people are worried about it. Some people are saying it's overblown just because of the teams that he was playing on. Like, for example, that HK Sochi team that he got loaned to just wasn't yeah. very good, right? So, I mean... Well, it's where... Right? Like... Let's be there honest. are two teams that where where KHL careers go to die, and one of them is Soki, and the other one is uh, Kulu. And come on, it's it's a right. fact, <laughs> right? Exactly. So uh, again, I personally believe those concerns are overblown, but I, there are enough things surrounding Michkov mm -hmm. between the political stuff we just talked about and the on ice stuff and the projection that I would understand why a team would decide to go with one of those other guys in those top five. Because I do truly believe that all five of those guys are going to be really good NHL players. I don't think you can necessarily go wrong. And I, I know that the fan bases of those teams have their preferences, right? Just as Montreal fan base has their preference and San Jose and Columbus. Can right? Leo Carlson please four to fifth and make it simple for us? That's what I, I'm figured, <laughs> I figured you would say that. Um, 
I think personally, it's going to probably be, if any of them falls, it would be Will Smith. Yeah. I can't see Carlson and Fantilli falling yeah. to you guys at, at fifth. I, I just can't see it. Just with the way that they're projected to play down the middle, with the way that their physical tools are, with the way that they performed at the World Championships, with with everything. When you consider the whole scope of it, uh, I, I can't see them going to five. I think Will Smith, maybe... I think that's fair. I, I, I've i said, and uh, I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter because we don't interact that much anymore, but uh, I think it, the gap between Carlson and Fantilli is really smaller than many thinks because yeah, they I are so, yeah. so strong, both of them. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised to see Carlson go second. I won't be surprised to see Fantilli go second. It's, 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 it's a toss-up. It's mm-hmm. about what you think. Uh, I don't think neither of them will will need that. You know, Carlson has four years of development. You don't need four years of development for either of those two guys either. So, no, so it's, no, it's absolutely a wash not. in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's a matter of, okay, if Will Smith does fall because mm-hmm. San Jose does something, maybe they pick Mitchkoff, maybe they pick Smith. Maybe maybe mm-hmm. San Jose goes off the board and picks somebody like Reinbacker. It shocks mm-hmm. us all because there's a need in that organization for somebody to lead the back end in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that happens. The draft is so unpredictable. I yeah. mean, we at this point, if we, you and I were talking on June 3rd, I wouldn't have told you that Shane Wright would be going to Seattle, right? They, the draft the draft is unpredictable, and, and we don't know. I mean, it, it that number four pick could go a variety of different ways, depending on what happens. What I see is I think Montreal is probably going to be choosing between Smith, Mitchkov, Reinbacker, and then depending on what they want to do, Maybe a, a more of like a physical toolsy guy like a Ryan Leonard or a Dalibor Dvorsky. Uh, I think those are probably the guys that the Montreal fan base should hone in on. And I think they have been honing in on from what I've seen from people like yourself writing, from the comments that I've seen on social media, from mock drafts. Those seem to be the targets. And let's be honest, I, I think all those guys are going to be great players. Uh, I be don't solid think Montreal, players. Yes, solid players. And, and I think... Honestly, I think some of those guys actually fit within Montreal's needs, mm-hmm. maybe better than others. Um, I'll bring up a guy like Ryan Leonard. He's somebody that I think is not talked about enough within this draft class. Um, I, I know what at, you're saying because I've spoken to Chris Peters and he was like, I have him at seven, uh, sixth. Yeah, like, and he is, when you look at some of these teams that are still in the playoffs um, and you look at the kind of players that they have sort of taking point, you look at Florida with Matthew Kachuk, right? You mm-hmm. look at Vegas and and the host of guys that they have that play that similar kind of power game, right? Like your Mark Stones, William Carlson's, like mm-hmm. those types of strong two-way, high energy, high compete, high skill guys, right? And, and Ryan Leonard sort of fits that. He is that sort of like Alex Tuck kind of player, obviously with Buffalo now, but you know, that's the kind of projection that he has. And when you look at what Montreal is sort of putting together, right, when you've got guys like Nick Suzuki and you've got Cole Caulfield and you've got Slavkovsky, mm-hmm. these types of players, right, is there a need for a guy like Ryan Leonard who could be a consistent 70-point, really good complementary guy who can open up space for Slav, for Suzuki, for mm-hmm. Caulfield to be even better than they are currently, right? Is is that, when I when I look at Montreal's roster and the way that it's constructed, and I look at 
what they need to do to take that next step. Um, other than maybe getting a little bit solid or a little bit more solid goaltending, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I would say. You mean finding the next carry price things. again? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> finding the next carry price. Um, it, no, it, I think it's a player like Ryan Leonard. So I think that's why he's connected to Montreal so much um, in mock drafts that I've seen and in different write-ups because he is that kind of guy. Um, does he have the kind of upside that Mishkov has? No. I, I think I feel very confident in, in saying that. But I think he could be the type of guy that you win in the playoffs with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if Mitchkov is necessarily that guy. Mitchkov is the one to fill the fans in the stands. In right. a way. Like he's right. the, it, yes. he, he will be that when 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 you cross the red line in 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 the in the forum but but in the bell center and and you're going to hear the crowd go wow that is going to be the guy mm-hmm. he's um, i can see him um doing those points in regular season but i can also see him fade out in the playoffs yeah i agree completely i think that we've seen that with other types of high skill players right mm-hmm. and and kucherov is obviously Use a lot, but he's kind of a unicorn in that regard, right? I think one of the things that makes him such a good player is he has developed sort of that edge to his game that he doesn't get enough credit for. He's highly, highly competitive. And I know that there has been a lot of talk on Mitchkov having that same sort of personality where he doesn't like to lose and he's hard on his teammates. And, you know, maybe there's a bit of an edge there in terms of his coachability. Maybe that's the kind of player you want. And I, I, Montreal is going to do their due diligence. And again, yeah. I can't reiterate enough that I think no matter who they select, even if it's a guy like Dalibor Dvorsky, who will, I think is probably the guy the Habs fans seem to be wanting the least, mm-hmm. the Montreal fans seem to be wanting the least, uh, honestly. Um, I don't know if that's sort of the, the sense that you're getting, Patrick, but when I talk to Montreal fans and I talk to people on social media, it seems to be like anybody but Dvorsky. And I, I don't really know why he seems to be the guy that they really don't want, because um, I think he's a solid player too. It's probably but my fault. It's definitely your fault. Um, everything is your fault, Patrick. Yeah, well, now I think I think Dvorsky is a little bit, you know, uh, he played solid enough in second division Sweden, but you're when you used to evaluate prospects from, from Sweden, you used to evaluate them out of SHL. So mm-hmm. I think that is the conundrum. And then coming on a little bit like Slavkovsky, big star of a late tournament in the draft year. Um, I like I like Tvorsky for a lot of different reasons. The fact that he lived in Sweden for, for you know almost six, seven years, learned proper Swedish, learned proper English. You know, you, you're gonna have it's gonna be so easy to coach him. Then he his birthday is a day after mine. So obviously mm-hmm. that that counts for a lot. Late birthday. That's what I was getting at, but I think I think for me personally, it's anyone but Reinbacher. So, can you enlighten me why why Montreal should take Reinbacher? Well, considering that we have him as the third ranked defenseman in, in the class, I don't think I can convince you on that, Patrick. Look, I I, I like Reinbacher. I just don't think he's more insider, and I think that a lot of people are making that comparison because he's another big athletic defender from. I mean, we'll call it a non-traditional market, right? Central uh, Europe Germany, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Austria, all those yeah. Central European countries kind of get yeah. lumped together as being a little bit more non-traditional. They don't churn out as many top prospects as some of the other nations. And 
Um, you look at what Rhinebacker did this year in, in the Swiss League, and yeah, it was incredibly impressive. But I don't see the offensive upside. Um, I think that it's very likely that he becomes a really good second pairing guy, mm-hmm. maybe like a really good number four, a decent number three, somebody that you know is playing 20 minutes a night for you. But in my opinion, the defense class or the defense group for this draft class is almost starting to get a little bit underrated because people don't see a super high-end impact mm-hmm. defender. And I think that there's really good depth. So my issue with taking Rhinebacker that high is I think you're just as likely to take somebody 45th or 50th mm. or 55th or somewhere in that range who's going to have the same kind of impact as David Rhinebacker. That's, that's sort of where I'm at with it. I think that he's very likely to be a good NHL player, but I think that there are some really good defensive guys available in that sort of like early to mid second range or even later in the first when the Habs are picking 31st we're going to call 31st we'll say 31st right um there could be some guys in that range who in my opinion have similar kind of value to to Reinbacker um so that's sort of that's sort of my understanding of it all uh, our whole scouting team was kind of on board with him being you know the third or fourth best defenseman even uh Chavel Anbot, who is our central european expert he's mm-hmm. one of the best experts in central european prospects in my opinion is, that's in any of the independent scouting um agencies he is usually the biggest champion of central european central yeah. european players and i remember when Moritz Sider was draft eligible, he was like, no, this guy, absolutely legit. Like, we need to have him high. We need to have him high. He's going to be a star. He hasn't really been doing that for Reinbacker. And it's kind of making me like, okay, so our our guy who loves, just bleeds hockey for Central Europe isn't pounding the table for David Reinbacker. Um, and in my opinion, that's that's a little bit concerning in terms of his upside. Uh, to me, th- there are a couple of things. Uh, Zurich, uh, obviously, who's played for is is a is a uh, system team a little bit. Then that impacts my evaluation of him. Uh, your list is out, so you can't really change it. But but <laughs> that's it. And then I think that his floor is really high mm-hmm. because if he has bypassed a lot of players already with the floor. The question is, I don't see him getting the same kind of height on his ceiling. Uh, yes. And and I think that's where I'm struggling with Reinbacher. Uh, obviously, Thomas Roost is is one that I am am, am mm-hmm. closely affiliated with, uh, and he's not banging the table about Reinbacher either. So it, it it becomes that kind of NLA is is a good league. Let's let's be honest with that. Mm-hmm. It's been very impressive this year. Um, can he do it on a rainy night in Newcastle or Leeds or or that's where it comes down to? He will be able to do it, but not on the first pairing. He will be that guy that you can move up a couple of games to the first pairing. He will be the guy mm-hmm. that, as you say, third, fourth used player on the team, but it's not the go-to guy, mm-hmm. the one that you want to lead your your offense or your defense in, in, in either way. Um, one of the rises with, with a very strong, and I was surprised as well, and uh, he was off my list, so he's back on it, uh, uh, under 18s, 
is obviously uh, David Edstrom. And it's actually Strum. It's it's not Strum because he doesn't have the O's on it. So or the yeah. dots over the O. <laughs> so 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 I'm not gonna go all all everything with Umalats or anything with this one. But but he's ranked 31st around that you know pick where where Montreal has his second uh, their second pick. I really like him. Um, big big year for him. Uh, on the verge of breaking into Frölunda that had a crappy year, season. If you can say crappy season when you finish in the semifinals of the Champions Hockey League and the semifinals of, of the SHL and just finished fifth in or, or sixth in, in the SHL regular season, that's a crappy year for someone like me, for my team. But, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But what can you tell us about David Enstrom? Because he is one that has climbed the list a little bit at the end. I honestly wanted him higher, and I think that that gives you your answer. Uh, I wanted him in that like mid to early twenties range, but there were a few people within our scouting team that weren't as high on his upside, which I understand. Um, there is a bit of safeness to to him. He's he's a solid two way guy, uh, big frame. Maybe there's the worry that he's, yeah, yeah, he, he's got a lot, but maybe there's worry that he's peaked physically early. Um, because he put the same thing I just said about year. Ryan Popper is right, is, but is, there's is. a difference between taking somebody at five mm-hmm. who's done that and somebody you know in that mid to late first range who looks like he could be a really quality, useful NHL player. Um, and the reason that I like Edstrom higher, and mm-hmm. I believe he's actually going to go in that like early 20 range. Um, I do. I, I really think Edson will be off the board by the time Montreal picks at 31. I think that when you look at his projection as a center, there aren't a lot of prospects who have a clear path to staying down the middle in that first round this year. In, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of guys who are probably going to have to move to the wing, and I don't see Edstrom being one of them. I think that with his power game and with his IQ and with his two-way awareness already, he's somebody that's going to stick down the middle. And that has a lot of value. And then when you add in the fact that this is a guy at the beginning of the year who was kind of an afterthought, mm-hmm. who was a depth player within you know, the Swedish international team, was, was used uh, as sort of like a role player, right? A Swiss mm-hmm. army knife. And then the injury to Felix Nielsen really seemed to open up an opportunity for him to, to play higher in the lineup. And he ran with it and he showed that his skill had improved a ton from the beginning of the year and his confidence in, in carrying and his confidence in being a playmaker and, and being a, a play driver really improved a lot. And I think that there's even more of a runway there. And I mm-hmm. think that when, when you're evaluating players, I think you need to look at those types of things. I, I really think they're important. You don't want a player who's stagnant that whole year. I want that guy who has improved. Yeah, maybe that means that there's less runway for improvement later, but at least it's showing that he's putting in the work to get to that next level and take his game to that next level. I think it shows coachability. I think it shows uh, a real understanding of, of how to improve and to be the player that he needs to be in. I think that you're at least getting a really good third line center. You're getting an Adam Lowry type of player with David Edstrom. And maybe there's there's a lot more there, right? Maybe there is. And, and that's why I think teams are going to jump on him. Um, so that's why I, I really wanted him higher. But again, um, 
projection concerns. Uh, uh, that's a realistic argument, in my opinion, and it's why um, he's a little bit lower in the first round on our list, despite my personal preference. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. I'm going to give you, and, and you have to keep the name you just mentioned in regards to Edstrom out of yeah. it a little bit. And, and then you can give me maybe two of your personal favorites in this draft for later round picks or, or maybe even at five. Yeah. So the one guy would be Tom Willander. Um, honestly, uh, we talked about how, in my opinion, the top defender in this class probably won't be the top guy drafted. I, I think that this is a group that is very close in ability. And I think that none of the guys in this class strike me as being number one or number two defensemen. I think that you're, you're having to choose from a lot of guys who have a similar projection as maybe like a solid number three. And in my opinion, Waylander has the best projection of that. I think that he's somebody that we're kind of sleeping on because he's not as flashy as Sandy Palika. But I think that there's so much value in how he thinks the game and how he processes the game and, and his overall sort of package as a mobile defender who can play in any situation. And I think that he's somebody who got a lot better over the course of the season too. I think, mm -hmm. especially defensively, we saw an increase in his physical intensity and just like a confidence in being able to use his body and not just being a stick on puck defender, um, way better defending in traffic. I would say later in the year as he was earlier in the year. And I think that when you consider that also that within that national team, he had a lot of different partners, especially at the U18s with, with Wickman getting injured, right? Um, that was sort of a guy that he had been paired with a lot. And then he gets injured and Willander's game doesn't drop. It actually increases mm -hmm. to counterbalance that to counteract that right like now i have to step on my game even more and I, and i thought he did and he's somebody that i think has a really safe floor at the nhl level and that's why if i was picking in that like mid first he would be somebody that i would be looking at 100 um i think i would wait to pick a defender until i got to that range and he would be one of my my top target. So he's he's sort of like number one on on one of my personal favorite. Obviously lists. a regular guy, regular development system, fantastic. Right. Uh, right. We've exactly. seen it with Cider. We've seen it with mm -hmm. uh, Casper. We've seen it with Adam Engstrom, obviously. And mm -hmm. I can uh, understand Montreal fans salivating of having a, a pairing in SHL that already plays together uh, at that level. Um, yeah, second guy. Yeah, so the second guy. I'm going to give you is is probably more of a mid second guy, um, but that's Jacob Fowler. He's a goaltender mm -hmm. that's kind of lumped in with that group with Michael Rabel, with Trey Augustine, with Carson Bjarnason, with Adam Guyon. I feel like it's sort of those five as the core top five goalies in this class. Everybody seems to agree on that. It's it's a matter of what order you place them in, mm -hmm. and um, I think that Fowler is the best of that bunch. And 
he's somebody who's he's not as athletic as Ravel. He's not as big as Ravel or Bjarnason. Um, he doesn't have that same pedigree that Augustine did being uh, a player in the National Development Dean program. But he was so good this year. And I think that people don't realize how good he was for Youngstown, and especially in the playoffs with helping them win the Clark Cup, which is the USHL finals. He was fantastic at the World uh, Junior A Challenge, which uh, Sweden played at as well. Just anytime I've seen him play, he's just so solid. And I think maybe people are kind of thinking that, okay, this is a guy who's already so technically sound. You know, where is where is that development going to come from? Um, but I think that as he develops as an athlete and kind of grows into his body a little bit more uh, at the college level, I, I think that there's a lot of potential for him to develop into the best goalie in this class. So um, I, I would say that those two are my sort of two guys that I would pound the table for. Um, Fowler or not in the first, uh, I think that you can definitely get him in the second or the third, um, especially I, I don't expect him to be the first goalie drafted again, because he doesn't have the same athletic tools as, as some of those other guys that I just mentioned, but he's somebody that I think is going to be a really good prospect and somebody that when we look back at this draft class five years from now, people are going to say like, you know, why wasn't he the first or second goalie drafted? You have been banging the table for quite some time. Uh, I went back and checked your Twitter feed. I went back and read your articles uh, on McKean's and, and subscribe if you have the opportunity uh, great work by you guys and, and great work uh, to read and, and really insightful. Um, obviously, a, reg, a regular prospect as well, uh, Felix Nielsen. Mm-hmm. I watched him in, in Rugler for one of the few games he played at SHL level. And Rugler was atrocious. They lost to, 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 to a team 7-3, I think it was, a 6-3. I don't remember. But the standout player in that game was Felix Nilsson. Um a guy you would take at that, you know, maybe 37th, 39 mm-hmm. drop where, where where Montreal will be picking with their own pick in the second round. What can you tell us about him? Because he is a little bit of an unknown, partly because of the injuries, partly because under 20 or under 18s, uh, and, and being in that mesh between SHL and, and under 18s? Yeah, I think that whoever drafts Nielsen is going to be really happy that he did not play at the U18s. Because I think if he had played at the U18s and didn't get that wrist injury, he would be a first-rounder. Um, I, I do think that he was on that very rapid sort of trajectory, just like David Edstrom. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those guys had improved so much over the course of the year that I think that he would have had a really good tournament and I think that people would have been talking about him as as a not a lock for the first round, but definitely a, a potential first rounder. And I feel like now people the talk on Nielsen has kind of calmed down a little bit because he didn't play at the U18s, even though he's still a really solid prospect. And what I like about him is he's just a really solid overall player. Um, the IQ is really good, uh, good skater, good projection as uh, a high energy guy always keeps his feet moving. There are some things within his sort of small area skill that I think will need to improve. You know, you watch him play and there's times where he, you know, he'll fumble a pass or he'll fan on a shot and play kind of dies on his stick sometimes in the offensive end where he's not able to play with pace when the game slows down. And I think that's something he's going to have to improve on if he wants to be 
a top six guy and not sort of like a, a bottom six high energy, um, you know, F1 kind of guy. But again, here's here's a guy who I think could stick down the middle, um, could stick as a center. I think that there's just, again, a really solid floor there, right? And I think that based on what he showed in terms of the progression later in the year, I think that there might be more upside than people are being led to believe when it comes to him. And um, I, I think another guy, and I don't know if you want to bring him up, but Anton Wahlberg, there's another guy, right? The, the Swedish team had a lot of players who emerged late in the year. Earlier in the year, we was all the, okay, it's Theo Lindstein, it's um, Noah Deal, Dower Nielsen, it's, you know, it's those guys. It's Kali Carlson is a name who's completely disappeared off the map, right? Those are the guys who were thought to be the top of this Swedish group. Um, the Swedish age group. And then now, later in the year, it's these interesting physical tool guys like Edstrom and Wahlberg who have just kind of shot up rankings because they've improved so much, right? And and Wahlberg is another guy that I expect could be a first-round pick, kind of similar to Philip Beistad last year. You've been listening to Brock Auden of McKean's Hockey. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. Make sure to follow McKean's on Twitter. Make sure to subscribe if you have the opportunity because we're all asking you to subscribe, obviously. But really, really good work. I got a crash course in in, in the prospect um, evaluation last year by Brock and, and uh, it, it keeps lingering on. Um, and, and it's really, really... I really, really appreciate you having the time and, and taking the time to, to talk to us. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this one on you just for the sake of it because you are an OHL scout and mm-hmm. uh, there is a, a certain player in Montreal or two certain players that just came out of the playoffs there. Uh, obviously Owen Beck and Logan Mayo. Quick thoughts before we finish this one off. Yeah, so Owen Beck, he had a pretty mediocre run with Peterborough. I think we all expected him to do a, a lot better with the piece. And that's not to say he played poorly, um, but I don't think that he took that next step offensively this year that a lot of us sort of expected mm-hmm. he would. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that Montreal does not rush him. Uh, he's the kind of guy that could easily slide into Montreal's lineup next year as the fourth line center. He's very advanced for his age off the puck. He, he's a great defensive player already. The skating will play already. The face-off ability will play already. He could play on Montreal's probably first or second PK easily. But at what cost, right? Uh, if Montreal does that and he's playing sort of that fourth-line center role next year, does that hinder his growth as an offensive player in the future, right? I think this is a guy that needs to play all of next year in the OHL. It wouldn't be with Peterborough the whole year. They'll be, they're going to be rebuilding. So he'll get dealt to a contender sometime probably like midway through the year. And that'll be really good for him to, to experience another playoff run. Um, but just to gain confidence in how he can use his speed to his advantage uh, from an offensive perspective, how he can find ways to, to get open to use his shot because that's another asset. Um just finding that next level as an offensive player, I think is going to be really important for his development. So while I do expect him, and I think everybody in the OHL loop expects him to get a little bit of time to start the year with Montreal, I'm kind of hoping that they don't rush his development and do send him back at some point. Uh, maybe we need after. Owen Beck on that. We, need, we, need, we don't need Owen Beck, Mark, 
not so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and Mayu, um, Mayu is what he is. So Mayu is still a project. He had a really good year. Um, he is but he was an overager more or less as well. So uh, no, so he's still he was only 19 this year. He was right, an OA. Yeah. yeah, so he's still he could technically return as an OA next year. He's gonna turn pro. Um, mm-hmm. that's inevitable. There's no yeah, way yeah. that Montreal sends him back. Right. He'll be in the AHL or, or wherever next year. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, he he's a very good offensive defender. The tools are fantastic from an offensive perspective. He is somebody that can have an impact on the offensive game in a lot of different ways. His high-end shot, his skills, his ability to lead the uh, attack and transition. Um, he consistently beats the first layer of pressure. Defensively, there's still those gaps. Um, you know, he just picks the wrong guy to guard or he, you know, he's, he's coming back in transition after taking a chance offensively and he's not really doing anything in, Sometimes he chases the puck still, or he chases the big hit. And there's still that sort of erratic defensive play that I think could lead to him getting a little bit eaten alive or exposed at the NHL level. I think that the physical and athletic tools are definitely there. Um, He still has an extremely high upside, but I I think that he's going to need some time. I think that this is a a player that's going to need a year or two in the minors before he's ready for an NHL job. Uh, I think that. There's another guy you, you don't want to rush because there is upside at both ends. It's just that with all the time that he's missed, there there's a lot of development. We'll say even off the ice, probably still mm-hmm. that needs to occur before he's he's ready to take on that role. Um, I, I'll give you a little tidbit though. So like um, as part of my job with with the hockey mm-hmm. news and in doing an OHL podcast for them, we've had a lot of players on over the the year and um, one of the players that we had on spoke to the fact that he and a lot of the other players in the league sort of had a chat about who they felt were the best defensemen in the OHL and the player that they felt was sort of the hardest to play against Mm -hmm. and Mayu was one of the top names that came up Um, so obviously he does have the respect of the the players in the OHL um, in terms of being difficult to play against it's just finding more, more consistency in his decision-making, in my opinion. Thank you so much. It's great to have you on. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll be having you on for the top 25, under 25, and not just lean on uh, Mate Derai all the time. But uh, it's been enlightening, to say the least, Brock. And uh, please follow Brock Otten at Brock Otten uh, for McKean's Hockey. And uh, I know he's a great guy, and as you've already heard, obviously. but Ask him a question on Twitter, and he will definitely get back to you with an answer. It might take a day, but he will get back to you. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Brock, for, for being part of this podcast. My pleasure, Hans.